0: Developers they are the ones who end up like using our SDKs. Like it's not about a checklist, it's about like the experience. The developer is our like golden egg nugget because they are our main advocates and the one who then end up recommending us to somebody else. Once you ship the feature, it's not done. Like you need to now see how it's performing, see if we need to upgrade things, to change things, etc. What we try to do is like smaller experiments that can give us insights on that. All experiments don't take more than one month, like two at the most. Everybody has an opinion, and if everybody has an opinion all the time, you never get shit done.
1: Hi, I'm Craig Kirsteins. And I'm Remus Silkeidis. And you're listening to Practical Product, a bi-weekly series where we discuss product management and some of the unique challenges we face in dealing with defining the right product and all of the coordination necessary
2: to help teams build it right. Practical Product is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit HeavyBit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproductheavybit.com at or on Twitter at PracticalProd. And we're back with
1: another episode of Practical Product. Uh, I'm Craig. And I'm Remus. And this week we've got
0: Martine. I'm not going to try your last name, do you want to... Yeah, sure, it's Martin, hard last name. So it's uh, Martin Gontovnikas, basically, but everybody, even though my mom like hates that, everybody calls me Gonto.
1: Okay, uh, Martin Gonto, although I think I might start calling you Martin, hard last name to pronounce from now on. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm, I'm sold, not... however you want it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: And so you're at Auth0, can you tell us just really quick, what does Auth0 do?
0: Yeah, so basically Auth0 is a SaaS for authentication. The main idea is if you're building a custom application and you need to add authentication to it, whether it's a V2C, V2V, V2E, or IoT, you can just do that with Auth0. And we basically have a set of SDKs and APIs that make the integration very easily. Cool,
1: makes sense, solves a needed problem. Like Authentication is not a fun thing to put in place, but it's consistently needed. Can you tell us a little bit more on your background? You had a marketing there.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I head out marketing in there, but I'm not your typical marketer. So I, I basically actually studied as a software engineer. I've done that for like six years or something like that. And then I moved to be a developer evangelist, mostly because I built an open source project called Restangular that got popular. And then I realized that actually, in order to get popular, I needed to like build a blog post, talk in conferences, like answer Stack Overflow questions, etc. And I realized that I liked more the idea of making it popular than building it itself. And then I saw I was thinking, how can I do more of that without losing the developer part? So I moved to developer evangelism, and now I kind of lost the developer part. But well, that's life.
1: So that, I mean, that's an interesting background because I think you know most developers have a. I don't want to say a love hate, mostly a hate hate relationship with marketing. Like, yes. that's the standard, right? Like, marketing is, you know, sleazy, just emails you a bunch. Like, it's not as bad as sales, right? Like, that's, that's an even worse relationship. <laughs> evil. Yeah.
2: But uh... I, I love sales. I mean, it's great. Sales is awesome. No? Yes? Maybe? <laughs> Do your developers love sales? It depends. See my product management answer right there. So but that's a interesting background I think
1: to come from engineering to to marketing. Like we see a lot of engineering into product management, right? Like that's a fairly common one. Product managers come from all sorts of backgrounds. There's not really a product management proper training in school usually. You can come from a business degree, you can come from engineering. I think a lot of it's engineering, but I don't see a lot of engineering to marketing. And I think that'll probably put an interesting lens on it today. And I think we want to drill on a little bit to that. How do you market like, based on your audience and segment? How do you bring some of that engineering background into it? How do you market to developers? But also, your audience isn't purely developers. Uh-huh. Who's Who would you say your audience is at Auth0?
0: So basically, developers for sure, and they are the ones who end up like using our SDKs or using our APIs. And they're one of our main selling points. But then the other audience could be like a director of engineering or like CTO or something like that in what we call like a new economy company, so like SaaS. But then in an old economy company, it could be like a security or like a CIO person. And then the other side is definitely product managers. That's the other people. So we actually have like a big variety of different personas. And at first, we only focus on developers, then we're actually focusing on all of them.
2: So you mentioned personas developing those personas. Did you do that in concert with your product management team? I actually I guess I should actually just back up and ask, does Auth0 actually have a product management team?
0: We do, but the product management team actually started like a little bit later on. They started, I would say, like one year and a half, because before, both of our co founders were in the identity business. So we, they were sort of acting as product managers. But now we actually built it ourselves. It was mostly like the marketing team. But now we're actually working together on the personas from the product management side to understand like how each of the things that we're doing can help them out. But the mm-hmm. ones who built it was us. All right, so
2: marketing developed the personas. Does is
0: product like push back on that at all? So it's it's interesting because like they are a little bit like separated from that in the regard that from the product perspective, they mostly care about like the developer that is actually like implementing them, and then mostly like the director of engineering or VP of engineering who is more understanding like what is the value. But in the product per se, the product management have mostly focused on like the developer experience. And something that we're seeing more and more in the enterprise now is all around like this like checklist cell where like it's a feature versus feature, feature versus feature. And something that our product team is trying to like shape differently is like it's not about a checklist, it's about like the experience. What is the value, etc., that we are providing to them. So they don't really focus that much on, on the personas on the product level, except for the developer and the people who are using it. Interesting. Uh, so that like simplifies
1: it for them. They've got one Yes. You still have a bunch that you care about, though. Yes. Can you tell me how that changes like your focus, what you spend time on? like Because they care about the developer, do you care about that less? Or you still have to care about it equally?
0: Like We care about all of them, but the developer is our like golden egg nugget, as we call them, or something like that. Because they are our main advocates and the one who then end up recommending us to somebody else. So then something that we did is we actually went... Backwards and so like all of the deals that we won that started from a developer, what other like people were involved, how, what were they interested? And that's one of the things that we did. And then the other part is that I'm like a big, big, big fan of like interviews and surveys and qualitative like stuff. So something that we also do a lot for the other personas to develop was was, for example, a LinkedIn campaign where from our target accounts we were just offering like a $50 gift card for people in exchange for half an hour with me. And I was asking them about like How do you learn on different things? What things do you care about? What how do you search for technologies? What are your habits? What do you do during the day? So that's partly what we ended up doing to build the different personas. But yeah, all of them are are a big focus for us. I
1: think that's a huge tip right in there. For a lot of people, they wait till they have the customer and then they come back and do the interviews afterwards. Like you've been building a product for years, you land, you know, one customer, then five, then ten. If you're a high value, you know, product and you wait till you have 10 and you start doing customer interviews with the ones that are around, like you can know your target audience, and hey, like for a you know fifty hundred dollar gift card, they'll give you some of their time, and you can learn the exact same things without waiting that one to two years before you get those first few customers.
2: So we talked about personas a little bit, and I want to pull the conversation up a little higher and ask, what do you think of as a healthy relationship between marketing and product management, and what what's the most
0: ideal scenario in your mind? That's a very good, very good question, and from us, we have. Like two different interactions with products. From one side, we have like the product marketing team, which handles like the go-to-market and sometimes like moving from explaining like a feature to what is the value. And the product marketing team also helps a lot with like research. So we do like research on like analysts and research like on the web on what our customers are saying, and then based off of those, we send insights to product to see if we can build features or do things. And then at the end of the spectrum, it's like okay. Like what is a big feature? How do we do the launch? What is the PR? What is this, etc. Mm. And then the other team that works very, very closely with product is the growth team. I know that the growth team sometimes is in product, sometimes is in marketing. They are like in different places. In our case, they are in marketing and they work very closely with them because of two things. Like first of all, the growth team is like very metrics oriented, so they are like the keeper of the metrics. So any feature that we are gonna ship, they're the ones who take care of like measuring the feature. And then if we see that something is wrong after it was shipped, like nobody's using it or people are using it but getting stuck or something, like we the growth team push on the product on like, hey, like what's going on and how can we fix this? So it's like the post feature ship. And then the other thing that we work very closely with is the growth team is the owner of the new user experience. So mm-hmm. the onboarding, retention, activation, etc. So we have worked mostly on the UX part of that, but that's something that we definitely collaborate with products on doing like a user testing and doing calls for like insights and those kind of things with people who got stuck and people who didn't. Curious
1: how much of that was like timing. Cause you mentioned like marketing kind of came first as a proper function, right? Like the founders were there and doing product management, sort of, right? It's very different when you bring in a full-time product manager and build out that unit. And I've seen a lot of kind of growing pains and challenges when that first happens. But marketing was there. It was doing a lot of these things. You had the growth team embedded in marketing. Was that a nature of timing? Or would you say it's very explicit that it's embedded with marketing for you all for some reason?
0: It's actually been like an interesting ride. So I think it started with growth, mostly because I've been talking about it a lot. Like I was always pushing on the executive team or like, hey, we need to focus on the retention because it's about like generating habit, it's about like people using the product and because I was passionate about it, it started there. But then like we had a lot of like back and forth with product on understanding like how does the growth team help and how does it work? And like at first we thought that for example, the growth team was also only going to be like a consultant to product and that's it. But then something that happened is that we were a consultant to product, but then like the engineers were working on innovation and they didn't have time to work on like onboarding and we mm-hmm. thought it was important so then I ended up hiding my own growth engineering team to actually build up like work on those but at the same time, the growth team does act as a consultant to product. But product is starting to do more like job to be done style interview. So we're like sending some of those things. So I think that right now we're in this middle ground where we're starting to see like where and how we can operate together, what things that the growth team owns, what things that the product team owns, and how can we collaborate and work together.
1: So talk to you in six months and you'll have it perfectly solved,
0: and you can come back and tell us <laughs> how everyone should do it. Of course, and in six months I have another problem that then in six months... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
2: I might ask this question, it may be a little contentious here for, for our product management folks, but yeah, I love your website. I'm, I'm looking at it right now, gonto.tos, G-O-N.T-O, so if anyone listening wants to go check it out. Your tagline here is, an engineering approach to marketing. So, from the contentious question perspective, do you even need product management if you have an engineering approach? You can just go straight from marketing to engineering and get things built?
0: That's a little contentious question. I like it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, I I think
1: that just remember which uh, podcast you were on.
0: (laughs) I love product managers, they're all great. Marketing sucks. No, so I think it's a very good question. And I, I don't think that product management will cease to exist. I do think that as time evolves, like more things are like merging together. And I, I do think that engineering is applying to more and more things. So I think that as time goes by, we'll start defining how this collaboration works. So, for example, for the growth team, I've actually seen it both in product and marketing or even like separated, like a separate entity that only focuses on, on growth. So I... I think it will that will definitely continue to happen. And then to me, the most important part for product management is understanding like what is the space, doing like the interviews and doing it all from like a product background that they have using like theories like jobs to be done or those kind of things. Where I think where we can help more and the growth thing can help more is like talking to customers on like more specific problems or things that we see on things that shipped. So something that I always say is that the product team is working on what new features, what new cool things can we add to the product. And the growth team is focusing on the sh- things that we shipped. How can we make it easier for people to use them? How can we make them that they are retained on theirs? But growth team will never come up with a new feature or the new thing that we should be adding to the product.
2: Okay, so l- let's dive into this a little bit yeah. more. So you talk about the engineering approach in all of these various functions within the organization. My question to you then is if an engineering approach requires data and requires measuring and, and all of that, how do you do that for verticals that are very B2B driven? Because you don't necessarily have lots of data because you may only have a handful of customers. Yeah, if you're
1: going after the Fortune 100, like there are only 100 companies, like there, there's only a, so big of a sample size. Even if you're, you know, giving out not $50 gift cards, but $500 gift cards, like your sample set's small. How do you get
0: that kind of input? I think that in those cases, it's really hard. And some of the things that you can do is that I think that some of the things that apply sometimes to smaller companies might apply to them as well. Some, of course, won't. But something that we do, for example, in Ausilo, we have a, a lot of different trials, some from big companies, some from like smallers, but we try to focus on retention, activation, what are the insights in all of them, and then try to cross apply between those. Having said that, I do agree with you that with a small Sample set is like very hard to drive conclusions like causation from data, but I do think you can start to draw correlations. And then once you draw a correlation, you can start like doing experiments. So, something that happens to us is that when we have a lot of data, that's it, like we know what to do. When we have very small, it's around correlation. So, then we try to do continual experiments to just start like moving the needle little by little. It's sort of like you're a blind person and you're shooting and basically you're shooting in the dark and then trying to get closer to shooting the bottle and getting tips on how you get closer. So that data starts happening as you start trying things instead of just using what people are telling you.
1: I like that analogy a lot. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I'm curious if you have any like tips from this cuz it sounds like you've thought about this for a while like someone's new to it. Practical tips, where do you you start, right? Like You've got your B2B, you're going after you know, seven-figure deals, and you're focused on one of those the first year. And you may have one potential you know, opportunity there, and your eggs are all in one basket. How do you test along that way? Like, do you have tips for someone as they're getting started in this process? Like, Where do you even begin?
0: Yeah. So for us, what we do is like when we have like one big vet that we want to do, what we try to do is like smaller experiments that can like basically an MVP that can give us insights on that. So, for example, we've done a lot of interviews lately and we know that people need some hand holding on setting up the OutZero product. So instead of, like, starting with an onboarding that is interactive, that people can, like, fill in fields, it's a customized product edition, we just start with something that is basically not interactive, it's like an animation or demo, showing them how to do things. And then if we see that that starts moving the needle a little bit, then it says, okay, we're in the right direction, let's start digging deeper there. But we try that all experiments don't take more than one month, like two at the most, because otherwise... You're waiting so much time until you get, like, some sort of result that maybe you've, you've screwed up and you don't know and you've taken, like, a lot of time to do that. So I definitely recommend doing small experiments. And then we use, like, the Bashishian A-B testing analysis, which at least if we you can see, like, a 5% difference or something like that is enough that we say, okay, like, we're going in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like, for a person that's not familiar with running a lot of experiments, like making it smaller and smaller and smaller, not trying to be the perfect experiment the first time, because otherwise it seems overwhelming and daunting and you have to get it right. The smallest one you can run to learn something, starting to learn is key.
0: We do everything like time based mm-hmm. in experiments because before, like, we were telling like the UX, like, we need the best experience for this. And then it was taking like two months. But then if you make it time constrained, like, you have two weeks to make a good enough experience, that works better. And then the other struggle that we had was actually working with design because they are like pixel perfect. And the idea of an experiment is that it's not gonna be pixel perfect. It's something you got a ship. And then if it works, you're gonna improve. So to us, it was also like working on that, that it's not gonna be perfect. It's gonna move us on towards the direction. And then you just keep on pushing and pushing and pushing on that direction that you find.
1: So yeah, it sounds like shortening and having that time constrained experiment is good. Yes. Is your perfect time
0: right now, two weeks, or what is the the time frame? and why is it that time frame? So for UX in particular, we do it two weeks so that we actually have time to do exploration. and it's not just one week. but if it takes like three weeks or one month in our experience, it's like we started to have like a lot of conversations and getting deeper and a lot of opinions from everybody, and then it took forever. The other thing that definitely helped us on that was having like a racy model, like the responsible, accountable, consulting, in, like informed. Because being a remote company, everybody has an opinion, and if everybody has an opinion all the time, you never get shit done. So it's around. We get opinions, but that, like you're making the decision, and at some point, we're making that because otherwise, the experiment is never gonna end. If you
2: haven't told from this conversation, we're both very much data people, so we're driving into this fact and trying to understand the parameters around this. I want to. Shift the conversation just a little bit and talk about more strategic situations. Well, the question that I want to pose is, uh, how do you extract a business value from anything that you're doing while not alienating developers? And this is a situation that you know we deal with at GitHub day in and day out because we really love and foster our open source communities because you know they're special and we want to see those communities thrive but in the same token we also do have our enterprise business how do you balance the two from your perspective
0: i don't have an answer yet like that's something that we're <laughs> that's something that we're definitely working on and improving on all the time and i think that being able to target both the developers and the enterprise is hard and at first i remember our first try was adding an enterprise page and then we were like but if we are an enterprise page, that means that we're not enterprise and we're trying to convince people that we're enterprise. So we removed it, for example. So it's like an ongoing iteration. And then, at least that for us, the two things that we've decided so far is that we should make the homepage like, have appeal to both, developer and enterprise. And something that we do is like the hero appeals to both, and then we have one section developer, one enterprise, one developer, one enterprise, one developer, one enterprise. And the idea of that is that people can self-select themselves on what section am I interested in and digging deeper. And we do the same with the header and the navigation, like mm-hmm. solutions section. I never expect a developer to go into a solution because they don't care. They will probably go to a product. They will never go, for example, in our case to like why out zero and see like the about and the press releases, but they will go to the documentation and blogs section. So what we try to do is without asking them who they are. Showing them the different information that it's clear and they can self-select themselves on one area or the other depending on what they are interested on.
2: So has, uh if I may ask, how has that transition been? So I, I assume that you started in one place, maybe just appealing to developers and now have gone to this approach. Have you noticed like considerable self-selecting or more traffic or whatnot? I'm not sure the metrics that you're using to judge
0: success. But yeah, we're we're so it's actually interesting. So we don't have like that many more like traffic to the enterprise pages. We actually have a lot more to the developers ones. What we have seen is that people that go through enterprise pages like the solutions are more likely to submit like a talk to sales. They mm-hmm. are more likely to send the form field. So then what we did is like we went back in time, we rewrote blog posts, we rewrote a lot of content so I did links there. But the reality is that the enterprise content has helped us mostly for two things. One is optics. Like people get to the site, they go to solutions, they see retail or they see application modernization. They say, "Oh, these guys focus on what I do." So that's definitely something that has helped us. There's not a particular metric for that, but our sales teams tells us about that all the time. And then the other part is that for our outbound campaigns, when we send emails or a direct mail or a call or whatever, we mention all of them and then we track and they are very useful for those outbound conversation. Maybe not as much for as for inbound, but even when we were talking to a more enterprise persona, like a product manager, but from an old economy company, or maybe a C-level, they really didn't go to the website that much. So it wasn't that important for that, but it was important for when we went sending it outbound because then they were clicking in there.
1: Cool, so that makes a, a lot of sense on the, like the website kind of having content for both. It actually reminds me of one thing that Twilio did That was super, super clear. And I, I forget exactly what it was. It's not on their website anymore, but I loved it at the time. I forget which direction they went, but they basically said Are you a developer? Click here. Or are you not a developer? Like, don't do engineering go here, like self-identify, and people seem to do
2: that very freely, very willingly. You don't think that's too jarring by straight up
0: asking right up front and saying, are you either? Maybe I'm both. That's what we thought. Like We didn't put that because of that, and we had the technical and non-technical, and we were having people like a VP of engineering saying, am I technical or non-technical? Because I know how to code, but I don't code.
1: But at that level, like all of the VP of engineering I've talked to, like they don't get alienated by either side. Like in that role, you're experienced with both, right? You talk about ROI, you talk about, you know, how do I not have my engineers do certain things? How do I outsource certain things? Like I I have this conversation regularly with VP of engineering, said, like, Man, I used to code. I don't anymore. I love, you know, this blog post that was on this engineering thing, but the meetings I'm in, the conversations I'm having are completely different. So, it doesn't actually alienate that person, but the person that does get scared away saying this isn't the product for me, knows where to go and self-identify.
2: Okay, fair enough. So, I want to ask a question about the developer sign-up pages, right? Can you give me some context as to like what that work was like initially and kind of how you transitioned to where you are today?
0: Yeah, so for us, what was interesting is that approximately like three years ago or something like that, we were kind of like flat on signups. And actually, by using this like engineering approach, we started to run like small experiments to start acquiring more users. So I remember that at first we said, let's write more blog posts about Auth0 and like what cool things you can do. And then we ran the experiments like three weeks, we wrote like six blog posts, and then we wanted to see the results. And when we saw the results, we saw that we had more page views, but we didn't have more signups. So when we dig deeper, we saw that the page was where from people that were already using Auth0, and they wanted to learn more. So we said, like this strategy doesn't work, let's try another thing. So you
1: killed doing any sort of content going forward, right?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we basically killed all of the content that was around Auth0, and we started to say, can we do like greenfield content? So can we write, for example, how to do authentication with React, but without Auth0, in general, how you can do it? And then a small aside, if you don't want to do this, you can use Auth0. And by doing that, again, it was like a three-week experiment we didn't have that many page views, but we did see, for example, that the conversion to sign up was bigger. So we said, OK, we need to dig deeper in here. But what can we do? And again, it was more around what other experiments can we do? So we started adding, like, focusing on SEO for particular keywords. We started focusing on what is our distribution list. We also started to focus on like doing bets for frameworks. So, for example, back then, um, like, four years ago, AngularJS was starting. And we said, like, We should bet on AngularJS. I think it's going to be huge. So we started going to conferences, for example, and talking to the people who were talking in there, and they were like the creators or the maintainers or Angular. And then by building that relationship, they were sharing our content because it was good and interesting content. So that like increased our distribution. So it was basically around like doing lots of experiments on how to distribute, how to create the content and what sort of things worked. And by that, we were actually able to grow, like. 30, 35% a month like on signups.
1: I'm, I'm curious how much, like, how long is someone in your pipeline? Like, does someone read a blog post, sign up, and then become a customer in, you know, two weeks? Or, like, how long do they read? Because it makes sense if you've got a, a product, someone comes, reads, converts right away. If you've got a long pipeline that can take, you know, enterprise software is typically 12, 18 months. Or even enterprise hardware, that's even
0: longer, right? I mean, how
1: do you test on that? How do you run a three-week experiment and know
0: you're headed the right direction? So we have like two different things for that. First of all, we had the quantity of like how many signups we got, which was understanding like, are we driving free trials at least from this? We didn't care it was revenue at that point. And then what we tested out is we have like a metric for quality sign up which is like in 20 days, we can know whether that person is going to be retained or not. I don't care if they are free paid or whatever, but they are retained in the platform. So then we can also measure with that if it's a quality sign up. And then by using those two measurements, we can know if it's worth to continue digging down in there or not. The other proxy that we use is how many people click on talk to sales. Like we don't care if eventually it's going to become an SQL an opportunity, but we know that there's like 80% of those will. So we know that if we drive more of those, we're gonna have more SQOs. So for us, it's around what are the proxy metrics that are gonna tell us that in the future it's gonna be an SQO where we're gonna close that deal.
1: Do you wanna dispel that terminology for like the fresh PMs or people that are just getting into it or fresh marketing people?
0: Yes, yeah, sorry. So SQO is a sales qualified opportunity. The main idea is that it's an opportunity that has bands. So they have the budget, the authority, the timing, and the need. But Like getting to an opportunity sometimes, as you were saying, takes like one, two months, and then we take what, two or three months to close it. So, if we can find, and we actually did like analysis, basically like with like random forest and prediction analysis to understand what things predict an SQO or predict that we're going to close a deal. And then we use those as proxy metrics for any AV testing or any experiment that we run.
2: So, does that information actually get back to the product management team? So, when they think about product that they're building, that they can
0: push on these levers as well? So to be honest, not before. um but now we do. So we actually started not like long ago, I would say like two, three months ago, we have an ongoing meetings with the growth team, the product and UX team, like all together where we share the insights, the things we've seen, mm-hmm. the user tests, what are the metrics, et cetera. And as I was telling you before, like we also have this like meeting every two weeks where growth says these are the metrics that are doing well these are the products that are not doing well now, how can we improve on this, and like, what things did we see? So we're starting to close the loop in there, but to be honest, we didn't do a good job of that before. I'm actually, so,
1: so yeah, I'm, I'm really curious that you didn't do a good job before, so we talk a lot about like things that are working well, what did you do that, that works, what's good tips, but what were the problems you noticed by not doing that before so others can say, you know, if they have this problem, if they see this in their organization, maybe this is a
0: thing that would fix it. So one of the hardest problems was getting buy-in for the growth team. It's like, we are the product managers, like, why are we getting help from like growth people that is outside? The same for UX. And something that was tipping us about this is that we were a lot of times like reinventing the wheel or we're looking for data that we already had because the teams weren't communicating that well between each other. So those were some of like the early alarms of like, we're doing the same thing twice, we're trying to find data that we already have, or that we're getting like some sort of like territorial on something. So those things don't make sense. So that's when we started saying like growth and product and UX, the three teams need to be working much closely together, and we need to be setting up like something. At the same time, for example, I was telling you before like growth, the idea was that they were going to do experiments and then product was going to be implementing them. But then they never got prioritized by product. So we said, okay, we're going to build our own engineering team for that. But wait, how can we send that information then to product as well? So we ended up on something where we've run the experiments, and then once we see one experiment runs well, we send it to product so that they fully implement it, paying more attention. Like They don't have this time constraint anymore. They can now fully implement it the way it is. And we also have these feedback loops once every two weeks where we get together with them and we share insights, which is something, again, we didn't do before.
2: Great. I know we only got a few minutes left and I, I want to make sure I get this question in. What can product management be doing better for you, for your groups, growth, developer marketing, all of that stuff? Like, What are the things that product management can be doing? So from
0: us, at least like a few things. First of all, now we're starting to change that, but the go-to market for everything was decided by us by marketing. So they were coming to us with a feature and then we were thinking, okay, how can we spin the message on this for the landing page? How can we explain the value? How can we explain that in a blog post? And now we're making the switch so that that is done jointly by product management and product marketing together. Another thing that we've seen a lot is like, I call it like the product managers and we building like cool sheds. They were shipping it and then that's it. And then something that we definitely, that's what we're working on and we need help more with them is like, once you ship the feature, it's not done. Like you need to now see how it's performing, see if we need to upgrade things, to change things, etc. So it's around not like set and forget, but actually like continuing to focus and work on that. That's for sure. And then the other part that we are getting them more involved also is actually working with sales. So before we were the link between sales and product, and we were like the telephone in the middle and messages were being lost. And so it was now it's perfectly translated, no issue <laughs> at all. <laughs> exactly. So now we're working together and like product is doing trainings, for example, for the sales team. They are like they have a process where we hear like features or things that are needed by sales, and that's something that we work together with them to close the loop so that we're not the telephone in the middle.
1: Yeah, I think that's something we talk about a lot. It's like a good PM interfaces with sales, with marketing, with engineering, with essentially every area of the org. I think in your case, like marketing interfacing with every area of the org equally is valuable. That cross-functional collaboration really kind of increases the way you work, the trust level there, helps you build a better product and is huge for
0: not just product to do, but also for engineering to do, for marketing to do, to sales to do, et cetera. And it's also, a thing about like trust, like something that happens a lot with us is that sales requested for a feature, there was no process for that. So then they didn't know if it was checked, if it wasn't checked, what was going on in the middle, et cetera. So that's the other thing that we worked on is like creating processes where we have a process for launch, a process for like the sales team to request a feature from product, et cetera. And that starts giving you trust that, okay, we understood it, we're going to think about it. This is what we can do, this is what we can't do.
2: Craig. You forgot the one other stakeholder as part of who you're supposed to be talking to. Don't forget about the external one, the customer.
0: Come on, mm, no, no, they just they
1: just take the product, buy it. That's that's good. Then you then you don't have to support them.
2: Problem it's, solved. I like your style. I guess <laughs> maybe. Customers number one always. Thanks, Ganto, for your time today. I really appreciate it. This is Remus. This is Craig. And thanks for listening to Practical Product. That's all we have time for today you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a PM topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproducts at heavybit.com or on Twitter at practicalprod. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.
1: And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders.